All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome back, and let's get in and talk about 10 of the trending articles in the crypto news space. As always, links can be found down in the description that'll take you to all these articles, so that way you can do your own research. Never trust what anyone tells you. Learn it for yourself. All righty. Well, hey, let's get into things. So, since I was out yesterday, I did miss out on this a little bit, but hey, Shelly Cardano's hard fork five years in the making goes live. Oh yes, after five years of development, their next upgrade is finally here. The network implemented its latest hard fork, Shelly. Uh, this upgrades the network from its prior iteration, Byron. Uh, Shelly introduces stake pools and delegations. So staking on Shelly involves holding large amounts of its native currency, ADA. The benefit of doing so is that there's a greater chance you could earn yet more ADA in rewards for validating the network. All of this is powered by its Ouroboros protocol, which chooses who gets to add the next block to the Cardano blockchain. IOHK said in a press release that it expects to reach around 1,000 stake pools. This is based upon the number of stake pools opened during its testnet. Upon launch, 444 stake pools were operational on Cardano. Uh, the first block for Shelly was validated on a testnet version of the new chain on April the 27th of this year, but IOHK ran an incentivized testnet for Shelly, meaning that users were playing for keeps. So any rewards you earned on the testnet, you will be able to import over to the mainnet, hopefully soon. So yeah, huge step for Cardano, huge step for Shelly, and a great thing for the market overall. I am super excited for this. I did participate in the incentivized testnet like a very little bit. I contributed to a stake pool. Uh, it was pretty easy to use once I figured it out. They did have a little like Word document guide you could look at and it kind of like walked you through step by step. It's not too hard of a process, but you would definitely want to refer to Google before you commit anything, just to make sure you're not uh, accidentally committing to something you wouldn't want to be or a pool that you actually don't want to be a part of. But still, this is great and it's so awesome that it's finally here. Uh, Cardano actually shrank a little bit after this news, which makes sense to me. Everything was building up, building up, building up, building up, building up, and the price was going higher and higher and higher. So a lot of people were probably just trying to realize their gains, knowing that there'd be a post-launch dump in which they could reaccumulate at a lower price, though it did not go too much lower. I believe it's still sitting around 14 cents. Uh, I think it clipped 15 cents for a minute there. But I have high, high confidence that this coin will be in the uh, 20 cent range before the end of the year, just based on how the market is going right now and its own success. Could be even more. That is just my opinion. Do your own research. But hey, let's hop over uh, to Article 2. We'll talk about uh, the die. Yeah, die supply. So the MakerDAO community approved and executed a vote on Thursday to almost double its total debt ceiling. Uh, which indicates how much DAI can be minted by its users. Specifically, the proposal raised the debt ceiling for Ethereum by 80 million to 340 million total, which follows two similar proposals that raised the ceiling from 160 million in early July. All in all, these proposals keep raising the amount of DAI. And the question is why? Well, the drastic increase is motivated by the fact that DAI has often traded above its peg of a dollar. 
It's where it should be. It's a stable coin. Uh, ever since the events of Black Thursday in March, a current market price of $1.02 has existed. This deviation has been exacerbated by the yield farming wars that started in June as they stimulate demand for dye. Since the maker system ensures that dye is both minted and burned at a price of $1, creating new dye should allow for market price to go down as new supply is able to enter circulation. Um, it does appear that a significant portion of dye supply is being used directly to earn rewards on these DeFi programs, both in Compound and Wi-Fi um, and all those others, instead of being sold for a higher price than it was obtained for in restoring its balance. Uh, yeah, so the maker community is currently discussing a direct arbitrage mechanism called the PEG Stabilization Module, which would create the possibility of directly swapping between DAI and USDC at a forced one-to-one -one conversion rate. Uh, the idea is nevertheless finding some opposition as many voice concerns of excessive reliance on USDC and a fundamental change to the mechanism of the DAI PEG from collateral back to market-based PEG interventions, but they feel that they need to do something. All this in a nutshell is De the DeFi boom is putting stress on stablecoins, specifically DAI. Um, it's used in many of the protocols and it's kind of pushing the price upwards when it's supposed to be stable, it's supposed to be at a dollar. So they're trying to do different things. They're raising the debt ceiling, they're minting more, they're talking about changing it. Um, there is some concern because technically on USDC, we talked about it, um, I think a month ago, uh, USDC is a central centralized stablecoin, and as such, the USDC Foundation can actually blacklist addresses that it thinks are conducting illegal activities. Which, if you're in the DeFi space, you're probably not a fan of, hence their um, opposition and their concerns about it. It's definitely interesting to see as this new fad um, of DeFi, whether it's here to stay or not, I don't know, um, continues to put more and more stress on these coins that are seeing remarkable success from it. It's something to keep an eye on. Um, DAI has had an interesting journey. I encourage you to do some research and learn a bit more about it. But I got to keep things moving, so we'll let that be for today. Uh, speaking off of that, um, yeah, so not just talking about DAI, Comp and Ampleforth. Oh, yeah, so Ethereum's DeFi sector, as we just said, continues to make headlines with a, almost $4 billion in total value lock. Some stars that caught investors' attention are beginning to fall while others are rising. Um, so data analytic firm Sentiment puts Comp in a potentially bullish scenario. Just one week after its introduction, Comp rose by almost 400% to $380. However, at the time of release, its price was only $137, showing a significant drop. However, Santiment shared uh, an image below, which uh, it's just more gobbledygook technical analysis, uh, and stated that Comp is in a crucial move, move, moment to move to an upward trend. The analyst firm attributes this to bullish indicators in the token's fundamentals, specifically due to positive developments in network growth, transaction volume, and social volume. So it's becoming more well known. The network is growing, transaction volume is increasing. So they're saying it's pushing for an upward trend. But we do got to touch on Ampleforth because uh, it had one of the worst weeks of the entire crypto market. The coins lost 70% of its price in the last three days or 72 hours. 
In a series of tweets posted on his Twitter account, analyst Sam Casamane explained the reasons behind Ampleforth's crash. <clears throat> he suggested that Ample is a scam, a meme, and a useless asset. Uh, he further explained that the coin was bound to fail because of contradictions in its self-defeating dynamics. Uh, yeah, Ampleforth is kind of weird. So, reducing the value of every single user's wallet to recover the price does nothing does not do anything meaningful in any way. If Ample drops below $1, now my wallet rebases to 90 Amples worth of a dollar. What good does that do me if the Amples are still worth $1 each? I can't purchase the same things as I could before the rebase. Makes sense. Ample is a very complicated coin. Um, that's why I kind of held off on investing in it when I saw the news of how it was rising because the rebasing process is kind of confusing. But basically, Ampleforth continually adjusts itself to keep the price, attempting, attempting to keep the price in a stable or sustainable manner. Uh, despite this, Mythos Capital founder Ryan Sean Adams said that Ample is one of the assets that will drive the adoption of Ethereum. He said that if Ampleforth will be successful, other currencies would compete to enter the platform. The recent collapse of Ample could have the opposite effect, however. Ethereum's co-creator Vitalik Buterin recently warned about the unsustainability of the fast-growing model in the DeFi sector. That's the thing. Never invest any money that you're willing to, that you're not willing to completely lose. Uh, crypto is a high-risk gamble, even at this stage of the game. Ideally, uh, it's just a you know high risk if you're investing in Bitcoin, Ethereum, and some of the other ten top tens. But it's definitely high, high, high risk once you get down into the 50s, 60s, and below. But hey, let's hop over and talk about this. So, as you guys may well know. CEOs of the world's top tech firms faced antitrust hearings in the United States. Uh, they were bruised by the ordeal, but uh, not not broken or shattered. I'm I think honestly it was probably more of an empty thing just to get them up there, and everyone gets a little moment in the spotlight. But what new regulations or changes will come from it, I think, are pretty much uh, nothing. But it's showing that not just in the United States, but around the world, there's some uh, interesting things going on. So sources are alleging that Beijing, too, could soon probe its own digital monopolies. A Reuters report published on the 31st cites anonymous sources who claim that the People's Bank of China has formally recommended that the state's council antitrust committee launch a probe into the activities of digital payments titans Alipay and WeChat Pay. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Analyst estimates that Alipay, run by the Alibaba affiliate Ant Group and Tencent's fintech business, largely WeChat, WeChat Pay, occupy 55% and 39% of the country's mobile banking market, respectively. So, two companies taking up like 94%. That's a lot. So, one of the Reuters unnamed sources has said that the People's Bank of China formally recommended the State Council Committee to investigate these issues. Following this recommendation, the State Council Antitrust has already been collecting information on both digital payments platforms for over a month. While the committee has not yet apparently come to conclusion as to whether or not to proceed with the probe, it is said to have taken the People's Bank of China appeal very seriously. 
Meanwhile, the same sources allege that both Ant Group and Tencent are ramping up their lobbying efforts to dissuade government officials from backing the action. So yeah, look at all these things that blockchain kind of solves with a bit more of a decentralized movement so that way everyone's their own bank and we don't have to deal with uh, two, three, or four companies taking up so much traffic and so much bandwidth that they can effectively control what users see. Hmm. <laughs> How about that? But yeah, no. If anything will really come of it, I don't know. Beijing definitely it has the ability to exert a lot more control over their businesses, uh, which lends me to think that while the People's Bank of China may be concerned, I don't f really see them breaking up these businesses because they it can exert such a strong and high level of control over them. But who knows? Who knows at this point? But hey, let's hop on over to number five and talk about Binance. So two years ago, they acquired this uh, trust wallet. In that short space of time, the service has managed to amount 5 million users and it's now expanding into DeFi. Oh yeah. So it claims that 10% of this rapidly acquired user base is now accessing a wide range of DeFi apps and DeFi platforms. It plans to aggressively expand into the sector as crypto investors seek liquidity, farming, earning opportunities. Uh, in a move to keep pace with the rapidly expanding DeFi ecosystem, Trust Wallet has integrated token swap platforms such as Kyber, as well as its own decentralized exchange, Binance DEX. So the Android version of this wallet has a built-in DAP browser, which gives full access into the DeFi world, and a number of protocols, including Aave, which has recently revamped its tokenomics, and Compound. So yeah, they're really like, bam, bam, bam. Trust Wallet founder Victor Radachenko told Cointelegraph that there are plans to integrate a number of DeFi protocols onto both of the Trust iOS and Android apps. Uh, speaking on the explosive growth of the DeFi sector, he said DeFi is definitely booming. And with regards to the increased user base, he added that keeping it simple is the key. I agree with them. I think user experience in the DeFi world could be greatly improved. And by keeping it simple and expanding features while doing so is an incredibly hard balancing act to achieve. But if Trust Wallet, and by extension Binance, can do it, good. Um, it'll help keep DeFi from being a flash in the pan fad and turning into the next big thing. I'm pretty happy for Binance, pretty happy for Trust Wallet, and I hope they continue to good things, do good things. Oh man, alrighty. Ooh, crack your back, stand up, take a stretch, and then let's hop on over to number six. Alrighty, let's move on. So Twitter's revealing how that Bitcoin scam really happened, and it's uh, interesting. So they revealed the attack used to carry the mass Bitcoin scam was a phone spear phishing attack. Uh, it targeted specific businesses and individuals using phone calls, and more of Twitter's security flaws have come to light since the hack, so not great on them. So, spear phishing is a pretty sophisticated form of phishing in which malicious actors target specific businesses or individuals using phone calls. During these calls, they may convince the victim to hand over passwords or other information used to access Twitter's internal tools. 
Uh, this attack, according to Twitter, relied on a significant and concerted attempt to mislead certain employees and exploit human vulnerabilities to gain access to our internal systems. Uh-huh. They elaborated that after seizing employee credentials, the hackers targeted other staff members, eventually cracking into what has been dubbed God Mode, a.k.a. Twitter's admin panel, which is how they were able to post those tweets. Uh, it wasn't just Bitcoin they stole either. Per Twitter, attackers gained access to the direct messages of 36 victims, downloading the personal data of seven individuals. Great. I'm sure those seven people are super happy. I'm sure they are. Uh, in the weeks since the attack, the scope of their security failings has come to light. Last week, it was reported that over a thousand Twitter staff and even outside contractors had access to the platform's so-called God Mode. Like, seriously, what were you guys doing? <laughs> you know, we're talking about this because this Twitter hack, well, thankfully, it has not really impacted Bitcoin's price at all. It still paints cryptocurrencies in a negative light. And it further shows how centralized systems have single points of failure and can be easily compromised. So, it's actually later revealed by Bloomberg that in 2017 and 2018, the contractors in question, who helped maintain the platform and respond to help desk inquiries, employed bogus support tickets to snoop on the likes of Beyonce, tracking the pop star's geolocation data and other private information. Hmm. Uh, Twitter disputed that though, stating we have no indication that the partners we work with on customer service and account management played a part here. Well, they're saying played a part, but, uh, yeah. I could see that happening easily. If you have that level of access, you're going to, um, someone is going to abuse it. Someone is. Don't know who did it, when they did it, why they did it, how they did it, but someone is going to abuse it. And this just shows decentralized networks. Can't hack everything. You, like... You can't unless you take over 51% of the network, which is incredibly hard for any legitimate cryptocurrency. So, you know, whole phone spear phishing. Gotta love it. All right. Uh, now, so Trump out here says he wants to see very high coronavirus relief checks in the next round of payments. Uh, the HEALS Act is estimated to cost another $1 trillion as the United States continues to try to buy its way out of this pandemic. Not complaining too much. Uh, in an interview, he stated, talking about the $1,200 payments, which were supposedly on the way once Republicans and Democrats can come to some sort of a compromise, uh, he stated, it may go higher than that, actually. I like to see it very high because I love the people and I want the people to get it. Eh, okay, sure. Um, however, we're printing forever. It's 0% forever. So now the bottom's going to drop out of the dollar, noted Peter Schiff, CEO and chief global strategist of the Euro Pacific Capital. Uh, last month, the US dollar declined 6% against the Great British Pound, a factor that could drive people towards Bitcoin, which is why we are talking about it. In fact, yeah, that $1,200 stimulus that every one of us US citizens got, ideally, is now worth, if you put all of it immediately into Bitcoin upon receiving it, $1,948, a 62% jump based on the dollar's devaluation and Bitcoin's rise in price. 
So U.S. devaluation, increasing awareness of Bitcoin and ease of use and access makes it a likely candidate for a safe haven slash store of value going forward in my view. Dean noted while stressing that we never know for sure. No well, duh. Uh, Fidelity Digital Assets, the crypto arm of the investment giant Fidelity, published a report on Wednesday backing up this idea. It provided four components of Bitcoin that support the thesis that it can be a store of value from a fixed supply to low inflation rates. So yeah, Bitcoin is designed to be a deflationary asset. The dollar is designed to be an inflationary asset. And in periods of high inflation, for those of us who are able to easily switch some of our money over to good old Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that are fairly large, fairly stable, and also deflationary, um, you'll only see this go up. By this argument, as the dollar tracks downward, Bitcoin will naturally increase in price comparatively to it, regardless of the other adoption that's going on in and around the space. So definitely something for all of us to keep a very close, close eye on. All right, let's hop over then, talk about Ethereum a little bit. Um, we'll get into the fact that it's its fifth birthday here in just a minute. But for right now, data from Glassnode shows the Ethereum network is more active and sustainable compared to early 2018. Uh, miners are earning record-breaking shares of profit from network fees. Uh, and transaction complexity measured by total gas usage is also way up due to, you know, DeFi. So Ethereum is up more than 180% since March of 2020, but data from blockchain suggests the world's second most popular digital asset may have even further to climb. I agree. <laughs> so measures compiled by Glassnode, this company shows that a number of metrics have passed even their late 2017 highs, including the amount of gas used in transactions and the record earnings for proof of work miners currently supporting the blockchain. It's been well reported by now that fees on Ethereum network are some of the highest they've ever been and might be pulling Bitcoin fees up along with them as more and more people do more and more complex transactions. On top of that, the difficulty and hash rate for mining activity that currently secures the Ethereum blockchain is down by 25% since it topped out in September of 2018. So this lower hash rate means Ethereum miners can process more transactions with the same hardware. And while the minting of new Ethereum rewards for moving the blockchain forward has remained steady since February of 2019, less hash power overall means more of the gas paid for Ethereum transactions goes to each miner, which is very cool. Uh, the takeaway from this is that the infrastructure providers for the Ethereum network are increasingly earning their keep as a result of real activity on the blockchain, especially when compared to previous periods of high activity and price optimism. So as things are increasing, movement is happening, things are starting to look up, so are their profits. So this market shift from speculization to on decentralized applications coming soon to the use of functional applications for lending, borrowing, and earning returns is reflected in significantly higher gas usage. So will the price follow? It seems to be. It does seem to be for right now. But much of the inner workings of Ethereum are set to change with the rollout of ETH2, the long-awaited and much-delayed upgrade to the network, which we will have the final public testnet dropping on the 4th of August, so just in a few days. Pretty exciting to think about, quite honestly. Uh, this includes, you know, increasing to transactions per second, 
um, how the blocks are generated, moving from uh, proof of work to proof of stake. Ethereum's got a lot of good stuff coming for it. And it's currently heading higher and higher and higher. Um, I do think Ethereum is drastically undervalued for what it is, but it has been such because they've been delaying things so much with ETH 2.0 that I think it's got some catch up to play. But all right, uh, let's hop over here next. It's Ethereum's fifth birthday. Oh, as of yesterday. So happy belated. All right. It went live on the 30th of July of 2015. So let's take a second and have a nice little look back over where it came from. So the original Ethereum white paper titled Ethereum white paper, a next generation smart contract and decentralized application platform was written by Russian Canadian programmer Vitaly Dmitrievich Buterin, better known as Vitalik Buterin, and published on his blog in December of 2013. Ethereum was announced by him on the 27th of January of 2014 on day two of the North American Bitcoin Conference in Miami, Florida. During his talk, he said that one of the uses for Ethereum was to create crypto assets for specialized purposes. He's quoted as saying, let's not have one currency, let's have thousands. So Ethereum's development was funded by initial coin offering, ICO, during July to August of 2014 with participants paying for Ether with Bitcoin. The ICO raised 3,700 Bitcoin in its first 12 hours. In total, 18 million was raised. Dollars. So, uh, release coordinator Vinay Gupta told Coindesk back then, you don't put a lot of value at risk unless you are really, really sure you know what you're doing and confident about your risk assessment of the network. So on Tuesday, crypto journalist and podcaster Laura Shin released episode 183 of her Unchained podcast, which she featured a, an interview with him. And in response to one of her questions, he said, Ethereum's definitely come a long way in the last five years, and it's definitely been really striking to just to see the change and even just see how more and more of the changes are outside of mine and even the outside of the Ethereum Foundation's control. That's Yeah, no, he's got a point. A lot of proposals have been voted on. A lot of things have been adopted. I had hard forked into Ethereum and Ethereum Classic um, as well. It's amazing to see how this cryptocurrency has developed. It honestly has, just in the past five years. Um, and looking back is a nice way to kind of like, you know, put some perspective into things. You know, back when it first came out, uh, block rewards were five Ethereum, gas limit was 5,000, and they had empty blocks. And today, they're pushing the technical limits of their network because adoption has gone that, that high. It's insane to think. So happy birthday, Ethereum, and here's to many more. All right, and then to round things off, uh, India is still facing crypto uncertainty. Um, so they've been, the government has been sitting on a cryptocurrency draft bill uh, since it was submitted last year, like early last year, entitled Banning of Cryptocurrency and Regulation of Official Digital Currency Bill 2019. Um, yeah, so some media reports suggests the consultation has begun on this bill to establish the veracity of this news. Laura Mohammed Dinesh, co-founder of Crypto Canoon, uh, filed an RTI application with the Department of Economic Affairs, and its short reply delayed July, dated July 13th. They wrote the government has set up an interministerial committee for examining the issue of cryptocurrencies under the chairmanship of the secretary. Oh yeah, so the present bill contemplates a blanket ban on everything related to currency. 
Uh, Dinesh, however, added that prescri it prescribes punishments for every activity from mining, holding, advertising, promoting, buying, selling, to and providing exchange services. If this bill is converted to law in its present form, then no sector can survive. Uh, he did emphasize it's quite unclear and premature to predict what they will do, including whether substantial changes will be made to the bill to reject the idea of a complete ban on cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. Uh, specifically, he pointed out that they can challenge this law before the Supreme Court under Article 32, before the High Courts under Article 226 of the Constitution. Oh, yeah. So basically what he's saying is a lot of changes can happen still, so don't freak out. But even if they do, we're going to fight it. Um, honestly, India, it's got, it's the second most popular, populous country in the world. Uh, a ban or the allowance with regulation will be huge for the crypto space either way. Um, locking out a billion people for participating in this is kind of insane to me. Um, it will only hurt India in the long term as countries like the United States, China, first and foremost China, um, and Russia and European nations all participate in this. They'll eventually have to allow it. So even if this law gets passed, it's not going to stand for too long, but we'll stand long enough to put India behind, very far behind. So um, I wish them all the best, and I hope if they're going to change it, they at least allow it with certain strict restrictions that can then be relaxed as things are pushed forward versus a blanket ban, which, as we all know, with prohibition in the United States, never really works. So... That does it for 10 of the trending articles in the crypto news space today. Thanks for hanging out and talking with me. Let's hop over and look at top 10 coins by market cap. So Bitcoin, I mean, everything is up. Very green day. I'll point out the big ones. Ethereum's up 7%. Uh, da, da, da. Everything else is kind of flat until you get down to number 10 with Binance coin up 4.5%. And Bitcoin cash is up too, but most everything else is pretty flat. Oh, Pretty flat, Litecoin up three, Cardano's flat. Uh, moving down into the top 20, the only thing that's got any red is a stable coin, USDC. Everything else is green. Chainlink's up 5%. VeChain's up 8%. Good on VeChain. Um, yeah. So we are definitely, definitely, definitely going to have to keep an eye on all of these stories and how they develop. Personally, I'm very interested to see how this um, stimulus check goes for the United States as uh, yeah, things are getting a little rough over here on my plate, um, on my house. So uh, thoughts and prayers going out to all you guys out there and do your own research. Don't just trust what I say. Look into any of these articles. Links are down in the description, so it should be pretty easy for you guys to follow the link or the links and find them. So that'll do it for me today. Thanks for making it this far. Please subscribe if you have, because, I mean, hey, why not? And hit that like button. All right. Great day, afternoon, and evening. I'll be talking to you guys all soon. Have a great one.